Welcome back to another edition of the brownzone.com zone coverage podcast. My name is Andy Bullbarch with AM 930 WEOL and 100.3 FM. And joined, as always, by Scott Petrack with the Chronicle Telegram, the Medina Gazette, and, of course, at brownzone.com. Scott and I are at a very safe social distance as he joins me <laughs> on the phone right now. Scott, great to be joined by you again. How are you? I'm good, Bull. How you been? So far, so good. I'm just kind of riding this thing out like everybody else. And, you know, while a lot of other major sports entities have had their actual games postponed, well, the NFL still seems to be running through its cycle. And that's something we'll talk about here in just a little bit. We'll detail the start of the offseason being delayed, but it seems like the draft process, while it will be different, it's still going on according to plan, and we'll also get into some of the moves that the Browns have made. Your mock draft and a conversation that you had with Alabama head coach Nick Saban as well. But, Scott, we will start with the offseason being delayed. And I think everybody's kind of curious as to how this is going to affect the Browns. On the surface, it seems like this could be a problem because you're talking about a lot of guys having to work together remotely that haven't really worked together much recently. Yeah, for sure. And it's going to affect everybody across the league, right? You don't have your off-season programs. You don't have your off-season workouts. Um, you don't get guys in the building for meetings or strength and conditioning, and that leads into your OTAs, and that leads into minicamp. And we don't know if the NFL will have any of those. But when you're talking about the Browns specifically, it would affect them more, number one, they have a brand-new coach. So Baker Mayfield hasn't seen the playbook. Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, any of these guys, right? They haven't seen Kevin Stefanski's playbook yet. Well, that was supposed to happen yesterday, right? We're recording this on Tuesday. That was supposed to have been, happen on Monday, April 6th, was the start of the offseason program for the five teams with new coaches, obviously including the Browns. Now that's on hold. And while we assume there will be some rules put in place, they're not in place yet. So yesterday, there were no virtual meetings. Stefanski could not get Baker and Odell and Jarvis on Zoom. They're just not allowed to do it yet because the rules haven't been worked out yet. So it's a later start for them, right? They're supposed to get a two-week head start on the rest of the league. Well, that's not happening. And it's just harder, especially your first-time head coach like Stefanski, right? Ron Rivera in Washington has been a head coach. Mike McCarthy in Dallas has been a head coach. Stefanski hasn't. So, you know, he mentioned April 6th date, like right after he got hired. He was already looking forward to having his guys, his players in the building, sitting them down, setting a tone for the organization, starting to build a culture, all those things, in addition to having them learn the playbook and having the strength and conditioning start, all those things that are part of a normal offseason program. And now those are all either on hold or not going to happen. The strength and conditioning coaches can talk to the players and give them suggestions on workouts and that kind of thing, but they can't even have virtual workouts yet. So I think it really is a detriment to a team like the Browns with all these new pieces in the coaching staff. And we talked to Kevin Stefanski last week. It was after we talked both, and we had him on a conference call, and he said all the right things. And he talked about you know, being – having contingency plan for contingency plans. And they were going to be able to handle everything, and it wasn't a disadvantage because every team in the league has the same set of rules. And I appreciate his mindset, 
right? And he has that attitude because that's probably the only attitude you can have. But I do think it's a distinct disadvantage for the Browns and the few other teams in their situation with a brand-new head coach. And the Browns have certainly been active this offseason. Even in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis, the Browns have been able to address some issues. And not long after we got done recording last week, they made another move, and they signed defensive end Adrian Claiborne. Well, what kind of player do you think he can be at this stage of his career? Seems like he was brought in to be a situational pass rusher. It's interesting. He, you know, He's another former first-round pick, just like, Carl Joseph, the safety they, they agreed to terms with, and Kevin Johnson, the cornerback that they agreed to terms with, a couple other defensive guys that are first-round picks, former first-round picks. Now, the difference is Claiborne signed a two-year deal, so it's not just the one year that a lot of these guys on defense had signed, and that shows a little bit of commitment. Um, he's, I don't think he's a huge pass rush threat. It's interesting because if you look at the stats, he doesn't have huge sack numbers. Um, but if you look at pro football focus, you know, and they break down every play and they grade every play, he had a big-time win percentage as a pass rusher. So I think he's a veteran guy that can do both. He can play against the pass. You know, he can rush the passer. He can play against the run. Um, you know, last year he had four sacks. The year before he had two and a half. 2017 was his big year. He had nine and a half. That's a career high for him. Um, and that was with Atlanta. So, you know, I don't think you can go, okay, this guy is going to get, you know, I mean, he can't count on six, eight, ten sacks. And he only started one game the last couple of years. He's been a rotational guy for much of his career. But, you know, it's one of those guys where you probably look at his career early and go, he's a bust. He's not even starting. He's not piling up any sack numbers. But then the longer he stays, and this will be year 10 in the league, you go, okay, this guy is a legit NFL player. He's made a long-term career. Teams value him, right? I mean, he's been on good teams. He's been, he was on the Atlanta Super Bowl team. He was on the Patriots team that won the Super Bowl in 2018. So I, I like the signing. I do think you have to look at it as a depth signing. I don't think he's going to come in and replace Olivier Vernon as the second end, the end opposite Miles Garrett. I think he's a third guy, and you need a third guy because Chad Thomas would have been that third guy. And while he played okay last year after Vernon got hurt and Garrett got suspended, I don't think he's a starter in this league. I think he's a depth guy. You know, I think he's a you know a better run stopper than a pass rusher. He's a third or fourth end. So I, I think the Claiborne signing is a lot like the Andrew Billing signing as a defensive tackle. It gives you that third guy in a rotation that you're looking for. Well, while we're on the topic of that particular position, there's been some noise this week about Jadavion Clowney. And I think a lot of people look at that think maybe that's just noise. A lot of people think that's a very serious option for the Browns. How serious do you think the Browns are about him? And I guess more importantly, how serious do you think Clowney is about the Browns? Well, that's that's a great part of the question, Bull, is – I think it's going to come down to does Clowney have interest in the Browns? It sounds like he would prefer to go back to Seattle, you know, just kind of collecting, reading the tea leaves and connecting the dots. Um, I haven't had anybody inside Browns headquarters give me direction one way or the other on this. I know, you know, ESPN, ESPN reported 
that the Browns have shown interest. And that other people around the league thought the Browns had come closest to signing Clowney. Now, that's a kind of a vague description. And, you know, other people around the league, you know, that's some conjecture there. But I have no doubt that the Browns have inquired about Clowney. And the reason is simple. And I think we've touched on this before. Olivier Vernon is due to make, I think it's $15.5 million. Right, you get fifteen million salary, and then there's some bonuses there. So if you put him at fifteen and a half for 2020, and he's coming off a season where he missed six of the last seven games with a knee injury, he only had three sacks. Is he worth paying that kind of money to? And I think most people would say no, he's not worth that kind of money. The problem is the Browns don't have a suitable replacement, and I and like I just mentioned, I don't think Claiborne is that guy either. So you can't cut your starting end at a position that is crucial in today's NFL. And especially when Vernon is a starting caliber guy. He's proven that. He's a former pro bowler. He's had good sack numbers. I thought he played, I thought he was really coming on before he got the knee injury last year and was playing well against the run, started to get some pressure on the quarterback. So you can't just cut him when you don't have a replacement. And if you look at the draft, you know, left tackle's a bigger need. They'll probably go left tackle at 10. Can they get a pass rusher at 41 that can step in and be that starter? Maybe, but I don't think it's a great draft class for that. They have other more pressing needs at safety and linebacker. So my point is, Olivier Vernon's a guy right now, but they're looking for, for solutions where they can cut or options where they can cut Vernon, save his 15 plus million dollars and plug somebody else in there. So Clowney makes all the sense in the world in that regard. Now you have to decide it's a couple of things. One, is Clowney an upgrade over Vernon? And I think a lot of people would assume that he is. You know, he's a former number one overall pick. We've seen the splash plays, right? We saw the play in the bowl game that made him so famous when he was at South Carolina where he blows up the guy in the backfield. You know, he's the kind of guy that gets an interception and returns it for a touchdown. He has special playmaking ability, but he doesn't have crazy sack numbers either. You know, I think he had two or three last year where Vernon had three and a half. I'm going to call those up while I'm talking to you. Um, but he's dealt with injuries. Like, he's not a perfect solution either, but I think the assumption is that he's better than Vernon, and I'll even go along with that, but how much better than Vernon is he? Is he... Are you going to pay him $17 million? You know, is he $2 million better than Vernon? Do you have to sign him to a two- or three-year deal? Which then, I think, would be the breaking point for the Browns. They say, hey, we'll, get, we'll have Vernon for one year, and then we can decide what we want to do with that position, as opposed to being locked in with Clowney for two or three years. Um, you know, I, two, I think they'd be okay with. That third year, to me, could be a deal-breaker for the Browns. So it's going to come down to money. It's going to come down to how much the Browns think he's an upgrade over Vernon. And then is Clowney willing to come here? You know, I think those are the things we're looking at. And, yeah, Ver- er, Clowney had three sacks last year. You know, and he had nine the year before and nine and a half the year before that. So there is some pass rush there, obviously. But he hasn't been as consistent or as dominant as I think people would have expected. And part of that's injuries. But I think people expected a lot, you know, when he's a number one overall pick in the draft. And he hasn't quite lived up to that. And yeah, Vernon had three and a half sacks last year in fewer games. So I think those are all things that 
Andrew Barry and company are definitely considering. And we'll get a better idea as to who Andrew Barry and company are considering in a few weeks here at the NFL Draft. I know that we discussed this a little bit in some recent episodes about what would the NFL do? Would they stay on track and still have the draft on the same day? They've decided they're going to do this virtually. That will be fascinating, and we will attack that in a different episode. But while we're on the topic of the draft, a couple of things come to mind here. I know you recently had a conversation with Nick Saban about some potential Alabama draft prospects. I want to get into that here in a moment, and I also want to give you an opportunity to explain your first mock draft as well. But you had the opportunity to sit down and speak with Nick Saban. Not many get the opportunity to do that. So what were some of your major takeaways from that conversation? Yeah, um, before I talk about the couple of Alabama guys you talked about, it's just, you know, it's interesting talking to Nick, and I do it pretty much every year. Um, part of that is because he's always got a guy that's high in the, in the top 10 or top 15. The Browns always seem to be drafting there. Um, last year, I didn't talk to him before the draft, I don't think, but then the Browns drafted Mac Wilson. So I got him on the phone after because I got a connection in Alabama. So I've been able to kind of develop this with Nick. And it's been a while now. I don't remember the first time, the first year that I wound up getting him on the phone. I know I talked to him. I know I talked to him the Johnny Manziel year, right? So that's 2014, and we were talking about other people. Um, but then I, I asked him off the record about Johnny Manziel. Um, I probably talked to him about Trent Richardson. So it's been going on for a while now. Um, but my biggest takeaway, and he's friendly and, you know, that he, know, he remembers who I am from year to year. But it's, it's like the most tense interview I do every, every year, regardless of draft or non-draft, just because – not only is it Nick Saban, right? The guy's won, I think it's six national championships. You know, we all know who Nick Saban is, right? Um, but there's just not a whole lot of wiggle room with him. You know, you ask a question and it's down to business and he kind of covers a bunch of stuff with one answer. And then, you know, I know it's okay. I want to ask him this or this. And it's like, well, he answered that. He answered that. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's a fun interview because it's Nick Saban, but there's also some, you know, pressure slash tension because it's Nick Saban and just his personality. And then he'll let his guard down. You know, we talked after I seen his interview he did with David Faraday on the golf channel. Um, so we talked about that for a minute. Um, but it's just, it's just interesting. It's always something, you know, I never quite know when he's going to call. And then it's kind of like, Oh my God, I got to snap into my Nick Saban. Interview. Um, but that's just, you know, that's just my personal take on that. But I did want to get into the guys we talked about. Um, Specifically, Jedrick Wills. He played right tackle for Bama. And we all know that the Browns need a left tackle, right? They got Jack Conklin in free agency to play right tackle. They don't want to move. They don't want to try to move Conklin to left tackle. So whoever whoever they draft, presumably at number 10, is going to have to play left tackle. Well, Wills has never really done that. He didn't do it in high school. He didn't do it at Alabama. And part of that reason for not playing right tackle at Alabama is because Tua was the quarterback and they were trying to protect Tua's blind side. So that makes sense. And Saban says, hey, we put him at the number one spot on our line, which was right tackle. But that doesn't mean he can automatically play left tackle. So that's what a lot of my conversation with Saban was regarding Wills, is whether he can make that switch. And he's confident he can. He says he's athletic enough, he's physical enough, he opens his hips well enough, he's smart enough, all the things you need 
to do to play that left side. Um, and we saw some of that at the combine. So, you know, we saw Wills have a good 40 time, and you saw him go through the drills, and he looks like a fluid athlete. But Wills even admits that it's a process, and it is a challenge going from all your reps on the right side to the left side. And he's trying to do that, and he's practicing that in the build-up to the draft, but fully admits he's more comfortable on the right side, and it will be a challenge. And Saban said the same thing. He said, we don't know for sure because we never, ever asked him to do it. So I think he can do it, but there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee he can go from playing right-handed to playing left-handed. And that's obviously something the Browns, it's a huge decision for the Browns, right? When they're addressing the left tackle prospects, that's a huge question mark. And I think the unique draft circumstances, which include no pro day, Right, So they weren't able to go down there and try to see him play left tackle. No individual workouts where you could put him through the paces and say, okay, I'm comfortable he can do left tackle. The only thing you really have is his game tape on the right side and what he did at the combine. And maybe that's enough, and you have the faith that veteran line coach Bill Callahan can convert him and can be the guy that mentors him and makes him a left tackle. But I think it's an unknown. And I don't know if you want to spend your first draft pick ever as a GM, if you're Andrew Barry, on an unknown. So I, I think that's a huge consideration with Wills. I think he answers every other question except can he make the switch from right side to left side. And then the other guy we talked about was Xavier McKinney. And I, I don't know what scenario the Browns would be in where they could get McKinney because he's probably the number one safety in the draft, and the Browns aren't going to take him at 10. If they slide down, maybe they take him because safety is a huge need, right? They signed, they agreed to terms with Carl Joseph. They signed Andrew Sandejo, but he's a rotational guy. So they still need a safety. They need a long-term safety because I'm not sure there's one on the roster. Um, but they have to address left tackle first. So if they traded for a guy like Trent Williams or if they signed a free agent like Jason Peters, then you start to consider other scenarios in the draft besides left tackle at 10. And then I think a trade down to, let's say, 15 or 18 becomes feasible or logical. And then McKinney enters the conversation. And Saban raved about him, said he's got all the skills needed to play in the deep middle of the field, which obviously is crucial in today's NFL. But McKinney has versatility. He's played in the box. He's covered in the slot. He's a good cover guy. He's matched up against all those Bama receivers that are coming out in the draft. Judy and Ruggs. So I think these are two names of players that Browns fans should keep an eye on. I'm not guaranteeing they'll take either one, um, but both have the potential to fit huge needs on the Browns, and they're coming from a big-time program. They have the endorsement of Nick Saban. So I'm, I don't know if the Browns could go wrong with either guy. Um, I'm not saying they'll get either guy, but I think it's two guys to keep an eye on depending on how these last couple of weeks go before we get to the draft. All right. Well, we mentioned we'd stay on topic with the draft, and we will close out on this. You put your first mock draft together, and it is indeed mock season, as we are just a couple weeks away from the NFL draft, a virtual one this year, which will be interesting. But I wanted to give you a moment here to kind of explain some of the decisions you made with your mock draft version 1.0. Sure, and we'll talk more about um, the craziness that this draft could be, right, being all virtual. Um, 
maybe the pitfalls that that presents. But you know, you know, I'm not. I don't always do a mock draft this early, but you know, when you, you need time, I got some extra time on my hands. I said, you know what, I'm going to do one early this year, and it's the same thing every year. It's hard because number one, if you get a wrong pick early, right, then everything kind of gets out of whack. You know, if you if you screw up that third pick, then it's it's staggered and affects every other. It's a domino effect right throughout your draft. Um, you know, at the top, it's Joe Burrow and Chase Young. Most people agree with that. I, it's tough to predict a whole lot of trades in mock drafts. Um, and I think this year we could see fewer trades because of how the draft is being conducted. You don't have the same 10 landlines in the same room, and you can talk to 10 different GMs. I think that's going to make it tougher to trade. But I did think Miami will do everything it can to get Tua from Alabama, the quarterback from Alabama. So in order to guarantee that, I have Miami going from 5-3 to three with Detroit to lock in on Tua. Um, I got the Giants taking Mekhi Becton, the left tackle from Louisville. If he's still at 10, the Browns could pounce on him. But I think the Giants say no. He's too big. He's too rare of a special athlete in size that they take him at number four. Uh, I have Isaiah Simmons, another possibility if he happened to get to 10. The versatile linebacker out of Clemson. He can play safety. I got him going at seven to Carolina, so that's another possibility for the Browns off the board. Arizona, I got him taking Tristan Worse, the tackle out of Iowa. He's played some left tackle, but mostly right. I think there is another projection there if the Browns were to have the option of Worse. He's, a again, another one of these tremendous athletes for a guy his size. But I think Arizona grabs him. They have a huge need on the line. They traded for DeAndre Hopkins, so they don't have to draft a receiver. And then the Browns have an option. So that means two tackles are gone, Becton and worse. And then it comes down to Wills from Alabama, the guy I just spent so much time talking about, or Andrew Thomas from Georgia. And I had the Browns taking Andrew Thomas. I think you don't have to project him because he's played left tackle. He played left tackle at a high level against high competition in the SEC, it just seems if given those two guys, and I think Wills might have a bigger upside and might be a better athlete, but Thomas feels more like a sure thing to me, and I'm not sure Andrew Barry. It feels like if it, it, maybe it's just my personality, but if I were making my first draft pick as a general manager, I would want to go sure thing, and I think Thomas is more of a sure thing. Um, so that's what I did. With the Browns at number 10, you know, and I'll do at least one more of these before the draft. And what I'll really have to weigh then is, do the Browns trade down? In what scenario? If, if two of the tackles are off the board, do they trade down? Get extra picks because we know that analytics say the more picks, the better. And then try to get Hope, Thomas, or Wills is still there at 15 or 18. Or then you take a second-tier guy, whether it's Josh Jones from Houston. Austin Jackson from USC, Ezra Cleveland from Boise State. These are all guys that I think are in play for the Browns if they trade down. And like I mentioned, with analytics, I cannot rule out trading down. So that'll be one of my big considerations when I do my next mock draft is, will the Browns trade out of 10 or will they just sit there and take the best left tackle still on the board? You mentioned you're going to do at least one more mock draft Will this be just a first-round deal, or do you, how many rounds do you anticipate going with your next one? 
I'm only going to do first round, but then I will do all the bronze picks, right? So, uh, you know, I'll go through and I'll try to match. Okay, well, they need a safety at 41, they, or, you know, a safety or linebacker, and just try to kind of slot guys who still might be available at each spot they're picking throughout the rest of the draft and try to connect some names. Um, you know, maybe I'll do the whole complete mock until 41, until that second-round pick. Um, I think that makes some sense. So those are kind of the two things I'm playing with. Good deal. We'll certainly looking forward to that on brownzone.com and, of course, in the Chronicle Telegram and the Medina Gazette in the coming weeks as well. Scott, as always, a pleasure catching up. Uh, looking forward to diving a little bit deeper into the mock draft as well and finding out what you have in store for us here in the coming weeks as we are just over two weeks away from the NFL draft. I know that's going to get be here in a hurry. And, and I do think we're going to get Andrew Barry on a conference call one of these days, so we'll have plenty to talk about. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. Scott, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks, bud. Thank you, Scott. Again, that's Scott Petrak, Browns beat reporter with the Chronicle Telegram, the Medina Gazette, and, of course, at brownszone.com. That's going to wrap up today's edition of the brownzone.com zone coverage podcast. For Scott Petrak, this is Andy Bullbarch saying thank you again for listening, and you will hear from us again next week.